this afternoon. <clears throat> this afternoon, my hope is to take us through Luke 7, 11, verse 17. It is a story which we know, the story of the widow, Jesus raising from the dead, the widows of Nain's son. Now, <clears throat> we read in Luke seven eleven to 17, as follows soon afterward he went to a town called nine that is referring to Jesus and his disciples and a great crowd went with him as he drew near to the gate of the town behold a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother and she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Recently, the saints at Trinity Reformed Baptist Church have encountered a distressing time. It has indeed been a time of distress for some more than others. Now, in this world, Jesus said, he said we would face tribulation. Job himself said in Job 5.7, or rather in Job 5.7 we read that man is born to trouble as sparks fly upwards. You see, <coughs> Job, the writer of Job is saying that you see, the way when you look at a fire, when the sparks come from it, they are always going upwards. And he's saying, just as surely and certain as sparks will fly upward, so also man is born to trouble. Mankind is born to trouble. In fact, there is not a single person on this earth Say we stop that bus that has passed around us and ask each of the passengers. Say we were to go to Kemu University just here next door and speak within every single person we met. 
And even if we were to speak each of us here, if I was to ask each and every one of you, do you have any troubles in your life? There's a great probability, actually, there is utmost certainty that you will say, yes, I have troubles in this and that matter. I have, I may, my troubles may not be the same as perhaps someone who is married, because at the time you're single, but nevertheless, you do have troubles. The same thing with marriage. The same thing with the workplace. The same thing with school. Whatever place you go into this world, you will not fail to find trouble. It's the same. And whatever circumstance you ever find yourself in, say you become, say perhaps right now you think that, oh, I am poor. All my problems come because I am poor. I don't have money. I can assure you, once you have money, other problems will come. See, what I'm saying, dear friends, is as long as you live on this earth, there will be troubles. Count on it. Perhaps the greatest trouble that we face is that of our own mortality, our own death. Uh, a famous preacher who was no doubt confident that he would go to heaven, he said, he confessed and said that, I am not afraid of what will happen to me when I die, but I am afraid of the process of death that process of dying because he was sick at the time when he said this when he confessed this you see death is perhaps the at the top of the list of troubles that each and every one of us will face uh, we have and not just for us as individuals but for others, our loved ones, we each live constantly with that fear that someone we love might die. Perhaps you're looking forward to getting married. The last thing you want or you can to imagine is that the person whom you're hoping to marry would die. Or maybe perhaps you do get married and you have the fear that your spouse might die. And then you have children. And what happens then? There is a sense in which you fear that they might die. Now this is not to say that we are therefore hopeless but what I am trying to say is death is an enemy to everyone 
death is a great source of distress. You know, no matter where you are, the loss of a loved one, even if they are a believer, is difficult. It's painful. That separation from them can be very traumatic. And of course, depending on the way in which they die, it can be more traumatic than another circumstance. Why is this the case? Why, why do we have troubles in our lives? Why do we have death? Why is it that one day you will die? Well, <clears throat> the Bible gives us an answer. You see, psychologists, scientists, atheistic scientists, they say that it's part of natural selection. That's why we die. The strongest survive whilst the weak weaklings die. They say that the reason why we have troubles is because we live in a harsh environment. And so that's why we have such troubles. When you ask them, why do people do evil against one another? Well, they would say that's just human nature. You see, outside of the Bible, there is no true help to understanding what is the cause of all the troubles, all the distress that is in the world. What is the cause of death, this great enemy of everyone? What is the cause of it? Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3, it is sin. It is a sin of Adam and how its curse was imputed to all his generation. You see, why do we have troubles on this earth? One, it's because we are sinners. We are sinners who, because we are descendants of Adam, and Adam is our representative. But we also have troubles because God cast the earth as a punishment for Adam's sin. And so it is true that we will, it is bound that we will find trouble because God has cast the earth and because we are sinners. That is just how the world works. But you know, we are not without hope. We are not without hope. You know why? Because as soon as we sin, Adam sinned, what do we read in Genesis 3.15? God gives a promise to the woman who had been cast. 
the woman who had been or sorry God gives a promise to the woman who had been deceived by the serpent and he says that though you have been deceived by the serpent he says I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel see that's a promise of the messiah as early as Genesis 3.15, when sin is entering the earth, God gives the promise of redemption. See, so that in 1 John chapter 3, John says that Christ came to destroy the work of Satan. And you see, the reason why I have chosen this passage is because I want us to see why we can have hope in our distress. The reason we can have hope is because of Christ. And that's why I've titled this message, Christ, Our Hope in Distress. Now this story is a story which we know. Perhaps a story which you had in Sunday school. And I don't know what, I perhaps do not know what lessons that the person who told you this story drew from that story. Perhaps they told you that Jesus raised this widow's son, and so therefore, those who have great faith can also can also raise the dead i don't know what uh lessons you learned but i want us to see three things in these verses the first one is in verse 11 to 14 he says we read that soon afterward he went to a town called nine and his disciples and a great crowd went with him as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Now I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. I want us to see something which is often neglected in many instances where Jesus' miracles are spoken of. Too many times people focus on his power. How often do you focus on the compassion of Christ. Why did Jesus perform many of his miracles? Was compassion. We have just spoken about in our introduction about the reality of troubles in this life. We have just spoken about the reality of death in this life. 
and if you meet someone on the road who needs help what is it that drives you to help them other than compassion for your fellow man and so it is with Christ you see why did Christ come turn with me in Mark chapter 1 I'll show you what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1 Verse 38, Jesus said to his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. In other words, that is why I was revealed. That is why I have come out and revealed myself to the world. It is that I might preach. But, back in Luke 7, we know, and from the Gospels we also know, that Jesus was one who was going out performing miracles. He was going about, and listen carefully, he was going about suspending the laws that govern our fallen world. Man is born unto troubles. Sickness comes and a person dies and the family grieves and they know that there is no way for this person to come back. They are gone. That is just how this world works. And he comes and he suspends those realities. Now, we know, we can be certain that this young man did die again at a later time. Perhaps from old age, we don't know why, what caused his death. We don't even know what caused his death at this time. But here, he was a young man, the only son of his mother. You see, Jesus came and performed his miracles to alleviate the effects of the curse, the effects of sin upon the people. He did it out of compassion. That was his motivation. He did it out of compassion. Imagine that. That Jesus' great motivation for performing his miracles was to show compassion. We serve a compassionate God. A compassionate Savior. Now you think of this particular woman's circumstance. And when you think about it, it says here, they, it's intentional that Luke records that she was a widow and, she was, and that this son who had died was the only son that she had. Now why is that significant? It is significant for this reason. Do you realize that in those days, as it is in many places today, and many circumstances today that if you do not have a husband or a son 
it could be a child but specifically a son to take care of you in this woman's circumstance in those days it was almost near impossible for her to take care of herself you think of jesus that when, while he was suffering on the cross what was his greatest concern that he would have his mother taken care of because she was a widow at some point it seems joseph had died and jesus as the eldest son was thinking about how his mother would be taken care of he didn't know whether his brothers would take care of her because they did not believe in him but nevertheless a woman who did not have uh, a husband or a son to care for them was a vulnerable person very vulnerable very very vulnerable because she could easily be disinherited of her land for example she could easily be sexually assaulted she could easily fail to be able to work to the point where she could care for her needs so this is a woman in a very desperate situation you see it was their custom that day in those days that when a person died perhaps a big crowd would be following the grave but after that there wasn't really any commitment to care for them and we know this uh, if you've grown up or if you know of a family which has lost the parents those children usually on many occasions they don't have someone to take care of them not even the relatives this is a reality of the vulnerability of those who are not strong who cannot protect themselves and so you see Jesus intervening in the situation of this woman is not only to sh- to manifest his power over death even though that is true but it is also to show his care for us in our earthly troubles the miracles of Jesus casting out demons that were oppressing people healing the sick making lepers clean all these things were done by him because of his compassion for people in fact i would say that the miracles of jesus were an example of his compassion of the compassion that he was going to show on the cross jesus came to die on the cross and he did so out of compassion for us who could not help ourselves and so what does jesus do he goes to her and he says to her do not weep you know you think of the many false prophets and apostles today when they have their healing crusades 
It's not about removing affliction. It's not about compassion on those who are who have true suffering. No, it's about making a show. You will perhaps pay to attend that crusade. There is an entrance fee. Uh, and then the stage is usually choreographed so that only people so that, sorry, so that people who do not have serious sicknesses, visible sicknesses, are not able to access the front. And those that appear to, it can often be shown that they are faking it, that they are people who are being paid to fake it. So you see, it's not about alleviating suffering. It's about this so-called prophet or apostle trying to create a certain perception of themselves so that they can profit from people. But that's not the same case with Jesus. His miracles were free of charge. He never charged anyone for a miracle. He met this woman. Probably she didn't have any money. As I said, she no longer now had any way of caring for herself. He comes to her and says, do not weep. In other words, he's saying to her, have faith. This grief which you have, I am about to remove it. So you need not cry anymore. I am about to remove the source of your grief. Is it death? Is it the death of your son? I am about to do it. And he goes and he does it. He says, then he came up and touched the bear, and, bearers, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Now think about that. This young man was dead. Everyone in the town knew that he was dead. But the compassionate Savior, our compassionate Savior, told this woman, do not weep. And then he removed her source of grief and distress by raising her. This brings us to the second thing that I want us to see. And that is the power of Christ in his miracles. You see, for many of the troubles that we have in this life, it is possible for us to overcome them. Uh, someone from a poor family can work hard towards alleviating the poverty that is in that family. A sick person can follow the regiment given to them by the doctor and they would be healed. There are all manner of kinds of afflictions that we face which can change. If you have a bad boss or a bad workplace situation, you can always look for another job, as difficult as that may be. But here we have the penultimate 
the great of the great troubles death and Jesus removes it with a word removes it with a word he says young man i say to you arise he doesn't need to pray for her in that moment he just says young man arise by his word life comes to the to the dead man now that points to the reality that Christ is God because just as God spoke and the heavens and the earth were made so also Christ spoke and this young man who was most certainly dead he rose again from the dead and the evidence of this power is that not only did this man die or rather raised from the dead but he sat up and began to speak now for those of you, for some of you if you have perhaps training in the medical field you know that in the process of death or rather after a person has died there is such a thing called rigor mortis uh i think our brother there daktari you would know what rigor mortis is simply speaking rigor mortis is how a dead person's body becomes uh no longer free but you see sometimes something has died and its legs are straight and it's not the body is stiff it's a muscular thing that it's something that happens in the muscles right now this man when he was raised from the dead he was able to sit up and speak which is to say that not only his death but even the effects of death on his body if he had begun to rot if they had embalmed him now we don't know whether they had perhaps they had embalmed him already whatever had happened to him in, in death was instantaneously with a word overturned what an amazing thing that's power you see today so there are many prosperity preachers so many false healers who would say that i have prayed for you go home and you will be healed but that's not how jesus's miracles worked jesus's miracles were such that if a person had a withered hand he didn't say i have prayed for you go home tomorrow morning when you wake up or throughout the ne- whole of next week your hand will grow slowly no he tells the man with a withered hand stretch out your hand and as the man is stretching out that hand he's healed that's power it's nothing like all these charlatans today are trying to do 
Jesus was not adding what is it called potassium permanganate to water and then deceiving people that he is working miracles no when Jesus walked on water he didn't have tables under the water you see there's a magic trick that people have where somebody is saying that they are walking on water but really what is happening is that that person has put tables under the water tables which have a color which reflects the water so that to the naked eye you really have to strain to see that there is actually something under the water but eh, Jesus didn't do that he's in the deep sea when there is a storm and he's walking on the water that's not ordinary that's power when he tells the centurion go your servant will be well and then the centurion goes and he asks at what time did this person get healed and he's told the time and then he says and then it says that the centurion realized that in that very instant that very hour when Jesus said go your servant will be well this person was healed it's the same thing here that we see the power of Jesus is such that he heals that he performs his miracles instantaneously and so here we see he says to the young man i say to you arise and the dead man sat up and began to speak and jesus gave him to his mother that's ah, very mind blowing it's very mind blowing because one he doesn't parade he doesn't parade this young man to the crowd that had followed doesn't say look at my power that's what many false healers would do today they really want to capitalize on the ma- on the trickery that they are doing and say oh look how much i have power but what is jesus's focus jesus's focus is to manifest his power heal raise this man from the dead and give him to his mother that's what jesus wanted to do now someone then will ask the question okay that's well and good and i know preacher that you do not believe that today people can perform such miracles so how then can you say that christ is our hope in distress what kind of encouragement are we to get from this sermon we who live right now when there are no miracles what benefit is that to us what benefit is that to us when we have one of our children die what are we some how is this story supposed to encourage us? Ah, the question that it's a legitimate question. But you see, the answer to it is very simple. And it's and I would answer that question this way. Number 1 Often times we fail to understand what these miracles 
were for. If we understand what these miracles were for, we can have true hope in Christ. What was the purpose of these miracles? They were to show that Jesus was the Messiah. That he was the son of David, who was also before David. And you ask, what is the significance of that? The significance of that is that when Christ performed his miracles, he was giving us a foretaste. Huh? He was giving us a foretaste of the kingdom which he was going to bring. You see, the reason why people today will crowd, recently there was a crusade done at Kasarani Stadium. Kasarani Stadium was filled, was packed. It was packed with people there seeking, and this is very key, seeking the blessings of Christ's kingdom without the king being present. What was the significance of Christ's miracles? They were to give us a foretaste of the kingdom that he was bringing. He, as the king of that kingdom, could manifest that. What kingdom is Christ seeking to bring upon this earth? It is a kingdom without trouble. It is a kingdom without death. It is a kingdom without sickness. It is a kingdom without poverty, without weeds growing, without pain. And you see, as Jesus heals this woman, he is saying that I am bringing a kingdom to you. And you must receive this kingdom. And the way to receive it is by recognizing who I am. Now do you know something? The people of nine failed to understand who Jesus was. Because listen to what they said. Fear seized, verse 16 and 17, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. You see, these people, was all they could conclude was, Yeah, there is a great prophet. Perhaps he's like, they thought of Jesus as, He's like Elijah and he's like Elisha. But you see, that fails, to, that fails to grasp who Jesus really was. You think about in Matthew 16, for example, Jesus is in the coasts of Caesarea Philippi and he asks his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And he says, Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, some say Isaiah or one of the prophets. What was wrong with these people? 
they failed to see who Jesus truly was. And that's why they crucified him. His miracles were revealing him as the king who was going to bring an everlasting kingdom. A kingdom without pain, suffering, tears, death, weeds, all these things. And so you see, the reason why we can have hope in times when we lose, for example, a loved one, when we lose a church member, when, we, when one of our church members is, loses a close family relative, as your pastor and his wife have, the reason why we can have hope in Christ is that Christ has already shown us in small glimpses here and there throughout the Gospels the kind of kingdom that he's going to bring. Jesus, even the most trivial looking of miracles, changing water into wine, you realize what the master of ceremony was saying. He was saying usually people bring the good wine first. Now it's obvious that these people had already brought the good wine first. But the wine that Jesus made was so good that it made the wine that was normally seen to be the good wine to look as though it is the bad wine brought first. What an amazing thing. This is a foretest of what Jesus will bring when he returns. Purity. A creation without weeds. When, he, when the, creation, the creation is now groaning, but there will come a time when the creation will be restored to its pre-fall condition. It will be restored to what it was before the curse. This is what Jesus will do when he comes. And so you see, dear brethren, the miracles of Jesus can give us true comfort if we understand them correctly. You see, the focus of the miracles is not the miracles in and of themselves, but Christ himself. Christ himself is the hope. Christ himself is the most important aspect of the miracles. You see, when you read a miracle, one thing you should tell yourself, yes, this is what Christ this is the kind of kingdom Christ is going to bring when he returns. A world without sickness. A world without death. A world without poverty. A world without any of the troubles which we face. Do you know there will come a time when such words as trouble will be something which we look back at. Today we deal with one trouble and then as we are looking back at it, when we are looking back 
forward saying that, Ooh, I'm glad that is over. Another trouble is waiting for us around the corner. Eh? It's like you jump over you jump over a puddle eh, of water and then you step on the on cow poop or dog poop or whatever it is. That's how our life is. You get over one obstacle and then another one comes. But there will come a time when those things will no longer be there. Because this world will be restored. And this is one sure promise we have from the miracles of Jesus. I cannot promise you that you will not die right now. I cannot promise you that you will not face affliction right now. I cannot promise you that I will pray for you and you will be healed. No. But I can't promise you that the miracles of Jesus are a foretaste of what we shall have in eternity. So let us praise the Lord for that. And if you meet with someone who argues that these miracles are meant for us to do today tell them if we perform miracles today what is the point of Christ returning what is the point of the kingdom that he will bring that dear friends is the problem with the whole Pentecostal movements and their obsession with trying to recreate the ministry of Jesus and his apostles. Their ministry served a certain purpose and once that purpose was fulfilled it was back to how the world was before. And we look to the day when Christ shall make miracles an everyday reality in that, that there will be no longer any troubles at all. Let us pray. We praise thee, O God, for the son of your love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah. Thine is the glory. Because through his miracles, we have a foretaste of what great comfort you shall bring to us in the new heavens and the new earth. We thank you, O oh Lord, that one day we shall be free from our troubles. We shall rest from all our labors. And this, O oh Lord, is by your Son. We thank you because his miracles guarantee to us that this is what is going to be our reality. Because the king of the kingdom that is coming, when he was on this earth in this present age, he was able by his own power to overcome the powers of this age. So Lord, we thank you and we pray that death, which is the last enemy to be conquered, that it will indeed be conquered when Christ comes. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, come quickly. Come quickly so that we may experience this new heaven and this new earth that we may experience a world without trouble. 
And we ask these things, believing and trusting in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, let's rise up to sing hymn number 256. Uh, I, have, I was made aware that this is a hymn.